Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the second Sunday in Lent for the week of February 25th, 2024, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to begin this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we are continuing the season of Lent. I know it's kind of weird to think about that the season of Lent is something that we anticipate and look forward to, but I do enjoy the self-reflection aspect of it. And I think in a world in which we're moving faster and faster, and especially within the scientific context, and we'll talk probably a little bit about it with how things are moving faster and faster, I think there is a value to making sure that we also slow down and reflect at certain moments. It doesn't mean that you can't still move forward quickly. But if you don't do the reflection as you're doing that, you end up finding yourself quite lost quite quickly. And I think especially having this within the church calendar, this moment of reflection a couple different times a year, I would argue Advent and Lent are those two moments where you really get to reflect. I think that's very helpful and very powerful within the church year. And I think it's just very powerful within our own lives. And it causes us to reflect, think, and be able to start putting pieces together, which is so important to be able to move forward quickly. So let's just jump into the question that we had for last week, which was, have you thought about the timing of migration before? And how does that make you feel? And I think this is something that, especially as being in the upper half of the Northern Hemisphere, I feel like I reciprocate a little bit with based on the aspect that you're used to watching things start to thaw and it's a cycle. But if you're in places where it's a warmer climate, I can see how the timing of migration is something that this doesn't seem to happen because maybe your weather is a little bit more consistent throughout the year. So there isn't necessarily this timing aspect to things as much. And I think it's also this recognition that the world moves at a different tempo than we do. And I think this valuation of sometimes slowing down to try to sync ourselves with that tempo for moments, I think is really important. And recognizing yet again, that within the whole ecosystem, we're all very much connected. And that connection is validating not only for us, but also for creation and understanding our role within it. So let's just jump into it for this week. The Old Testament text this week is out of Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 7 and 15 and 16. And this is where Again, we have Abram and Sarai at this point, and God is laying out this promise of what this is going to be. This is where Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. The idea also that this is going to be a fruitful nation that is going to come out of their ancestry, which at this point they have not yet had a child. So it's this recognition that there is going to be blessing, that there is this promise, this covenant that is between God and God's people at this point, Abraham and Sarah. So this idea of this transformation, this promise that is not going to be broken, that is going to be coming. And the recognition and faith in which it takes in order to have something like that. And we'll get into that in here in a moment. The psalm that gets with that is Psalm 22 verses 23 to 31. This is the recognition then that, okay, we're giving praise and glory to God, but also we still do not fulfill these expectations. And recognizing in that, that we are trying, we are trying to fulfill our vows, but recognizing that we are going to come up short. And it's this recognition as well as 
God is the one in control over all of this. And this idea of how we need to continue then striving toward that and recognizing that those steps forward do help future generations. And this idea that over time, we're slowly going to be getting closer and closer in that relationship with God. The New Testament text this week is the epistle text is out of Romans chapter 4 verses 13 to 25. This, I feel, using the NRSV is a very complicated text to try to get your head around. And I, this week, really looked into the message, trying to get the concept of what this is. But it's this recognition of the relationship that God and Abraham had was dependent upon faith. It wasn't an ironclad contract or a business operation. It was something that there had to be faith in the promise, this recognition of trust. If God is promised Abraham to be the father of the faith, and we look at Abraham as this father of the faith, then we also have to have the trust and faith that God is going to fulfill God's end of it as long as we are continuing to strive to achieve our end of the operation. And I think it's easy for us, especially to at times, to feel that we're overwhelmed, we aren't able to accomplish it. And we have then this reminder coming from Abraham that Abraham at this point is nearly 100 years old. It's not the typical childbearing years, and yet the promise was still being able to be fulfilled. So this recognition on how God's timing and our timing might be different, but recognizing that that's still important and working through that so that God is able to still fulfill what God has designed as long as we are striving to work within that. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 8 verses 31 to 38, although there is an alternative gospel and we'll get to that in just a moment. This is where in Mark's gospel, Jesus starts laying out what's going to happen to him. That he is going to be go through great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, killed and raised three days later. Peter then takes him aside and is like, don't do this. What are you talking about? And then you almost get like where Jesus is frustrated. He rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. And then Jesus continues. If any of you want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will be saved. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation In this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is then coming from verse 34 to 38. This recognition on how we have to recognize that we are called to something greater than what we necessarily look at here in the here and now and trying to be able to blend those two and not necessarily get consumed with what is going on in the here and now. And sometimes that means making adjustments and that can be extremely difficult. The alternative gospel this week is one we had a few weeks ago with the transfiguration. But if your church didn't celebrate the transfiguration, it is Mark chapter 9 verses 2 to 9. So this is, again, the story of where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a high mountain by themselves. And he becomes dazzling life. He becomes dazzling white. He have Elijah and Moses with him. 
Peter then makes the statement of let's make three dwellings. They become terrified. There's a shadow that comes over. The voice of the Lord comes. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly things return to normal. Jesus is just there. They go down the mountain and Jesus tells them not to tell anybody. So this recognition of, again, the the power and might of God, but also still leaving people perplexed and what the heck is all going on. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Full working preacher, if you have a working preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give some direction, ideas, and be able to look at these texts in a critical way. There's a great resources over there and years of commentaries and discussions. So, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. I really enjoy how to lay out the text each week, but along with having the art, prayers, hymns, colors, even daily devotion and readings, I'd highly recommend checking it out. It's a great way to be prepping for the upcoming week in worship. And as we talked about, yes, this is great for preachers who are going to be up front and preaching, but it's also important for us who are going to be in the pews week to week to mentally be preparing. And so this is a great resource to be able to help you prepare for worship week to week. As we are in this Lent season, this is a great opportunity for you to be doing some of that prep work as we are doing a lot of that self-reflection. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publication. It's either a weekly or monthly newsletter reflection, which covers a wide variety of ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies to bring up in your preaching. The newsletter also includes a lot of other different events and different ideas on how to be able to think about your environmental footprint. If you are spending a half an hour each week listening to me talk about this stuff, I'd highly recommend checking out both the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. It will be the first link in the references section in the show notes. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Gus Davis Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics this year, which will be from June 15th to the 21st, 2024 at Gus Davis Adolphus College. And this year's topic is How and Why We Sleep, Revelations in Rest. I am super excited about it. I have had some initial discussions and I am figuring out when I'm going to get down there for it. I had a huge amount of fun last year. You can even go back and look in the archives. We have a short podcast using a lot of the students who were there talking about how they were seeing faith and science come together. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. It's a great place for especially, it's geared for high schoolers who are kind of trying to figure out how does all this faith, science, and ethics stuff come together. They put on a great program every year. And if you reach out to me, I have a discount code through the end of April. So if you're interested in looking at that, please reach out. Please say if you're looking at this, I'd highly recommend checking out the Gus Davis Faith, Science, and Ethics. And again, there will be links to that down in the show notes. I'm going to say, especially this week, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the Mark 8 reading, especially that we covered Mark 9 just a couple weeks ago with the Transfiguration. But I do feel like the Transfiguration does still play into this text quite a bit. And especially when we're thinking about promises, covenants that God makes with us, it means that we also have to be flexible. And I think that's one of the things as human beings we really struggle with. We like setting our mind on things. And if things are changing, we don't necessarily adjust well. And we all fall into that in various different forms and fashions. But I think when we look at some of the different history here this week on faith and science in particular, 
I think there is some things that we can learn from and especially worth where we're at as a current overall church, but also as individuals to make sure that we don't fall into this rut. Because I think the comment of what Peter is stating when Jesus is making such these big proclamations and Peter, of course, would be taking him aside. Why are you saying this stuff? This is undermining your whole ministry. What are you doing? Of course, then we have a God who doesn't necessarily work in the way that humans work, reminding us that we sometimes get fixated and focused on a narrow, narrow way of looking at things and we miss the grander picture. So let's get into that this week and we're going to head to the stars this week. We're going to look at some astronomy that has gone on and we're going to talk about two people that I know I've never talked about in the podcast before. We're going to talk about Sir Fred Hoyle and Sir Martin Ryle this week and talk about how the universe started. So we're going to start with Fred Hoyle. Fred Hoyle was known for being a big part of stellar nucleosynthesis and was one of the influential authors of B squared FH paper is basically how it's known. That paper's title was Synthesis of the Elements in the Stars, which basically was how did we get the elements of the earth that are heavier than iron and being able to take between him and a few other authors, hence why it's known as B squared FH is taking their last name's initials and throwing it together. And it's been a highly influential paper for astronomy and nuclear physics on how these elements and ions work together to create the elements that we have now. And Hoyle then, again, coming kind of out of this end of World War II era, became kind of famous because of this paper that he had put out where he then was starting a radio program and came out with the idea of steady state model, which was promoting the idea that the universe was in this steady state and that as galaxies would die off, you'd have them restarting in this steady state, this spot where everything was kind of staying roughly where it was and kind of balanced. This was kind of popular because of how Hoyle was in this position and how much he had influenced things at different parts of his career. And again, he's on the radio at this point, which is highly influential and even is the person who coined the term of Big Bang Theory, was the first person to state that. But as he continued to go along and evidence started to shift, Hoyle was very slow about modifying this particular part of his theories on how the universe started. And in fact, he potentially, because of, again, also at times being difficult to work with, gets kind of overlooked for a Nobel Prize. And they talk about in 1974 when the Nobel Prize for physics was given that it was very surprising with the subject and what they were talking about that he wasn't also given the award. We'll get into that a little bit later. But being fixated on this way of looking at things, it also created a little bit of tension. With him being at the University of Cambridge, you started to run into Sir Martin Ryle. Now, Martin Ryle had done stuff within specifically radio astronomy was starting to be a thing. And because of coming out of World War II, had been dealing with that for more military reasons, now is working with the astronomical observatory to be able to look into deep space. And based on the idea that if Hoyle's theory was 
correct. There should be a lot of these different radio waves coming from all over the place. And again, we should have a fairly consistent radio waves. Whereas if we had had a single point, there should be having radio waves, like think of it kind of like echoes coming back and it should be these distant old radio waves of what they were picking up. Ryle had done these experiments in the early 1950s And in 1955, when the results were starting to be published, they were showing that, yes, more of the what we would look at now of a traditional Big Bang theory was being supported. Now, Ryle ran into some issues in the aspect that initially when Ryle was publishing his papers, there were some errors that they had overlooked. And when others tried to replicate Ryle's data, they had trouble doing so. Ryle then went back and was able to do some additional revisions and some additional tests through the late 1950s into the 60s, which continued to support this Big Bang Theory. Whereas Hoyle then stayed put, made some revisions to his steady state model. But as many of us kind of know now, the leading theory for how the universe and how we're understanding it currently is the Big Bang Theory. Now, it's not that Hoyle didn't do amazing work in what Hoyle did throughout his whole life. But Hoyle, one of the things is, is the idea that Hoyle struggled with the idea of being able to modify this particular aspect. And I'll attach a video down below. Part of where Hoyle liked being contrarian on this stuff stems from, one, the aspect of him even admitting near the end of his life that, yes, the Big Bang Theory had good proponents, but he liked the idea of being open to another idea, specifically coming from some different childhood experiences where people were speaking in absolutes. But Hoyle was able to find within that that there's certain times where the absolutes don't necessarily work. And so liked being a little bit contrarian that way. But also that contrarianness cost him potentially getting a Nobel Prize in physics like Martin Ryle got in 1974 for some of this stuff with radio astronomy. This isn't that different than what the church went through with Galileo. And one of the things that I think is really overlooked with the stuff with Galileo, and if you're wanting more information on that, I talked about that in my 2018 podcast, which will be linked down in the show notes. But there was a discussion in 1615 as Galileo was starting to look into telescopes and we had Copernicus has already put out his theory. Johannes Kepler was starting to show movement. And as Galileo is starting to look through telescopes and is starting to argue and wrote in his doctrine of accommodation to the letters to the Grand Duchess of Christina was stating that the Bible was written in a way to be accessible even to the uneducated. Therefore, every word in the Bible cannot be taken literally. It cites an example Galileo, in which God has described having hands, which St. Augustine alluded to as not being literal. So the idea of what Galileo was even getting at when he was doing his initial research was the idea that the Bible is there to give us guide rails. As we discover more things, it's not necessarily that we get rid of the guide rails. It helps us understand how things are happening and that we're understanding more of who God is. As Galileo is talking about, is more the idea of how stuff happened and the Bible giving more the why stuff happened. And that's the conflict that we get a lot of times with this faith and science debate and feuds. The Catholic Church, in that time of Galileo, the thing that they kept fighting over was a couple different Bible passages 
that where the sun was being held up and not going down. So the idea that that we were the center of the universe compared to the idea that we were circling around the sun. And if you're wanting a couple of those verses to look at, the places to look at for that would be Joshua 10, 13. So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven, but also Isaiah 40, 22. The heavens stretched out as a curtain above the circle of the sun. There was a couple of these different scriptures where at that point the Catholic Church struggled with recognizing what was being discovered. And again, we've talked about that it took like 150 years for the Catholic Church to acknowledge some of the stuff with Galileo. And even into the 1990s, being able to fully recognize some of the different things that Galileo was stating. This is where, again, where at times as humans, we can get really stuck. And I understand from Hoyle's standpoint, there is a value to making sure you have a contrarian viewpoint, to making sure that you're keeping that open. But that's part of what science is, especially if it hasn't gone into scientific law. And we've talked about this before, how it is so rare to get to scientific law because you have to leave a margin of doubt in there for something else to potentially come in. So just because we have the theory of the Big Bang doesn't make it this iron clad thing. There is room for us to be able to look and adjust and reflect on some of these ideas. This is where as a body, as a church, we have to be okay and flexible with the idea of evolving change. Peter, when calling out Jesus here, is stating that the framework of what I am seeing you do and what you now are talking about does not line up. You could see Abraham, when he is hearing this from God, that you are going to raise this nation of people, and I'm 100 years old, could have a struggle with the framework of that. But as we get in the Romans text from Paul, that is not what this is. It's a promise that also means that we have to take a leap of faith with it. We have to understand that there is a little bit at this moment that we don't understand. Maybe at some point we will be able to understand, but that allows us as that becomes firmer to take additional leaps of faith to getting to understanding new things about people or new things about God that we've never understood before. What I look at this as is God is an infinite sided dice. And as we continue to understand and spend time out in God's creation, the more and more we start to understand sides of that dice. But that means we need to keep turning it to be able to open up new sides of them. Just like we hear about with people that you see a working side of a person doesn't mean that necessarily you understand them as a spouse. It doesn't mean you understand them as a parent. It doesn't mean that you understand them as a community member. There's a lot of different sides to people. Thus, we should be able to recognize that with how we understand God. And tying that in, even with the Mark chapter 9, with the transfiguration, it's recognizing the power that's there within us that might not always be showing. And I think that's where we're at with this text. And it applies so well to what is going on within the world that we are today. Within this last week, OpenAI showed the progress of what they have been able to do within their computer models of being able to create video from text. And the funny thing is, is one of the creators that I like listening to with tech is MKBHD. And one of the things that he did a great job of in this video that he talked about with this is showing a year ago, they had a video of Will Smith eating spaghetti and you could just tell it's not real. There's multiple problems with it. And if you're interested, check the links down below with that. The videos that are coming out now from OpenAI, basically a year later, at initial glance are passable. 
are realistic. When you really study and look into things, you start realizing, oh no, there's this is totally computer generated. There's problems with it, specifically like hands and candles and different things of that nature. There are issues. But it also shows how far they've come with the technology. It realizes the idea that nothing is standing still. When we look at like what Paul is writing about with the law, the law sometimes can get us to this point where we get stuck. We don't feel like we're moving. We're standing still because we're fixated on this is what this said at this point. And it, forget that that was directed to a group of people. But the idea that this is then the framework, the guidelines for us so that we are able to continue to grow gets lost. One of the things when you look at one critique that I would make with Hoyle, and I understand what Hoyle was trying to do. Hoyle was trying to keep doors open for people to be able to come up with alternative theories to things. And I appreciate that. But I also would say don't get so stuck in the mud that we aren't able to grow because of what you're stating. And when I look at the global church, I would argue this is one of the big things that we are struggling with. And in a world that is moving faster and faster, we need to be able to be open enough to be able to allow new theories and things to come in without being ridiculed. The church does not have the time like it did with Galileo, which you'd still argue is part of the problem where we're at now, to be able to fight things for centuries. We don't even have the time necessarily to fight them for decades. We have to be able to allow ourselves the possibility of, well, what if that's true? What if this theory makes more sense? And what does that open us up to, to be able to understand more and more about God, but also still being critical? There is a fine line there, but not getting so stubborn that we aren't allowing God to enter in because we are so fixated on, we understand it this way. So the question I have for you this week is, where do we need to be flexible? Where do we need to be flexible? And what I mean by that is, where do we need to allow ourselves to listen and hear so that we are able to grow? It doesn't mean that we're necessarily accepting right away. It means that we have to be able to listen and think critically and not necessarily immediately shoot down. And in theory, this is one of the things that science should be showing because in this, it allows for new ideas to be coming in and being able to try things. And maybe it's not necessarily one or the other. It's a little bit of a combination of things. There is a lot of value in hearing and listening and contemplating and getting beyond what we necessarily have always thought things to be. But that means it's being uncomfortable. That means, like Jesus, being able to call out Peter. That you need to have your eyes set on things beyond what you can necessarily see. Beyond what you necessarily understand right now. You need to be open enough to think about these things. You need to be open enough to allow this to be a possibility. And to think about it. And to pray about it. And to contemplate it. To study it. To look into it. And maybe it doesn't lead anywhere. But maybe it does. And maybe as that goes on, maybe it leads to something else that helps in the understanding of it. I think this is where, as a church, we have a lot of things to be working on. We need to be able to see beyond denominational differences. We need to be able to see beyond the differences. Have discussions, sure, civil discussions about the differences. That's perfectly fine. But to get to the point where that divides us, that separates us, that gets us to the point where we can't associate with is ridiculous. It hurts all of us. Part of the reason that I am sitting here having these discussions is because we as a church couldn't rationalize the idea of when people were going out and observing that some of which we as the church had sent out 
We're coming back with new theories and understandings that were beyond what we could initially understand that we were like Peter and pulling them aside and saying, no, that can't be the case. And the problem was we were in positions to actually try to silence them, that they weren't in the position like what Jesus did and call out someone like Peter. As we are in this season of reflection, it should be forcing us to dig deeper to enable us to grow. Because if we are so stubborn with our own opinions, we then cannot grow. And what you do is divide and hurt things for generations. Recognize that some of the struggle that we go through is value for future generations. And that we can settle to this place of we don't understand, but more study is needed. That's not uncommon within the science community. Why within faith can we not get to that conclusion? It is okay to not understand because that's part of what faith is all about. We have to take that leap of faith. We have to be able to acknowledge and take things that are seem unreasonable, like what Abraham heard in Genesis chapter 17. It seems unreasonable, but yet we know the story. We know what happens. It still happens. And I would bet Abraham and Sarah had plenty of laughs about this. Even as they were trusting in it, there was probably plenty of laughs that there is no way that this is going to happen. And yet it does. Why are we so sometimes so insistent that we understand how things are done or we understand what God is or we understand all of this, that we don't allow ourselves to actually grow, that we apparently know more than God, that Peter at that moment appeared to think that he knew the best way of doing it. And instead, we get in the way. And I think that's where when we are moving into an era where now artificial intelligence is going to be a part of life as we know it going forward is one example of many that we have to be open to the idea of this might change things, but that's okay. We're going to still see how things go. We can still be critical and bring up concerns, but we also still have to allow ourselves to have the soil to be able to grow and not just be sticks in the mud because sticks in the mud don't grow. Sticks and soil have the possibility with the right root system to grow. And I think that's where as a church and as a world, we still have a lot of growing to do. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.